0: Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. People sometimes ask about the big picture of our work. Why do we present these programs? The answer is we're trying to cultivate a more cohesive sense of community, and our vision of community is based on personal ideals and values, such as compassion, generosity, equality, and civility. We aim to serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation. And we strive to shed light on solutions, not just problems. If you resonate with this vision, you can support us at humanmedia.org and click How You Can Help at the top of our homepage. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation.
1: We're competing in a global economy. We're competing against 1.3 or 4 billion people in China, 1.3 or 4 billion people in India. We need to have everybody in our country engaged, a learner. Someone who can uh, take in information, process information, be creative, work well with others. These are essential skills for us to uh, be a, a strong economic country.
0: How schools can help students learn academic content and develop the skills of clear thinking and emotional balance. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. With public approval ratings in the basement, the Congress of the United States is not a place we normally regard as a bastion of calm, disciplined self-reflection. But for Tim Ryan, who represents Ohio's 13th congressional district southeast of Cleveland, sitting in meditation is an essential routine for processing the challenges of Washington life.
1: To me, it came a lot out of my athletic background of I was a quarterback and the practice of throwing an interception in front of 5,000 fans in high school in Northeast Ohio football, and having to let that go and go back on the field. And to me, as I look back on a lot of how I came to the, my own mindfulness practice years later, that was kind of the beginning of learning how to let stuff
0: go. Congressman Ryan is a longtime practitioner of mindfulness meditation. He says his daily quiet time provides a tool for clearing the mind, sharpening thoughts, and attaining a measure of tranquility in a hectic modern life. And developing those capacities, says Ryan, offers enormous potential benefit for school children growing up in our fast-forward world. You
1: notice if you just take a minute and you close your eyes and you shut off all your technology and the TV and the radio and everything else, that your mind will go to a meeting you're going to have or the person that you just met and called by the wrong name and how those uh, weigh on your mind. And so the practice is see that, see those as just thoughts, nothing to get completely caught up in, maybe something to learn from of course, but then come back to the present moment
0: where life is happening. And where meditators pay special attention to that basic human activity of breathing, which establishes the rhythm of life. To meditate means to focus, and that can be a singular challenge in a culture overflowing with potential distractions. But learning how to separate the wheat from the chaff, to be emotionally centered, to be mindful, can enhance a person's performance whether in the role of a legislator or a young student who needs the ability to concentrate on academics.
1: The practice of sitting on a cushion or doing that every day for 2 minutes, 5 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, or you know, people who do it for hours, um, is to really discipline your mind to be in the present moment and to be able to see those thoughts coming in and out, biases you may have developed over the years that come to that contaminate the present moment really start to see all of that stuff.
0: I'd like to ask about your goal of broadening the availability of mindfulness education and social and emotional learning in our schools. These are obviously times of tremendous stress on teachers and students related to tight budgets Uh, high-stakes testing, and many other forces that kind of churn up the pressure cooker. Do you think that mindfulness and social and emotional learning training can relieve some of that pressure?
1: I do. I do. And I'm seeing it. It's not that it can. It is right now. But I'll give you an example. In Warren and Youngstown City Schools in Ohio, in my district, um, we got a million dollars a few years ago to put in social and emotional learning and mindfulness. These are two older, industrial, Midwestern cities. A lot of times it's just they're poor. You know, 80%, 90% free and reduced lunch, 80 90% of the kids on Medicaid. I was with the principal a few months ago, and she was saying how much uh, she loves the, the program because she doesn't have kids in her office all day long with discipline matters. So the administrators of the school can actually do their job without being disrupted by kids coming in who have misbehaved because the program teaches kids to identify their own emotional states. They have a peace corner in the classroom. So if you're a kid and after a few months you start to really identify, I'm feeling angry, I'm mad at my mom, I'm mad at my brother, I'm mad at Johnny in the classroom who just pushed me, you go to the peace corner but you're teaching kids to identify their own emotional states, and then you go to the Peace Corner and you meditate or you write or you color, you do whatever until that emotion passes, then you come back to the classroom. So the, the principal is saying, our school's running much more efficiently now because we're not getting disrupted all the time. So there's actually a
0: reduction in behavioral problems.
1: A reduction in behavioral problems, no question about it. And they're starting to see the kids' reading scores improve. They're starting to see the improvements in math. In um, and, and a general, there's one study, over 200,000 kids doing just social and emotional learning. This isn't even the mindfulness component. 11 percentile increase in test scores, 10 percent increase in good behavior, 10 percent decrease in antisocial behavior, 20 percent swing in the mood of the school, Uh, that closes the achievement gap. Uh, And so I think if you include, you know, mindfulness, which it has some mindfulness in it, a mindfulness practice helps cultivate your attention span, instills mental discipline, moves your brain in the direction of more empathy, uh, more, better at solving problems, um, mobilizing your attention span. All of these positive benefits come from the mindfulness practice and then identifying your own emotions and then how you connect with other people. This is what underlies or should underlie all of the programs, whether it's bullying, uh, drugs and alcohol, a teenage pregnancy, like what's underneath all of that? And what's underneath all of that is a kid that's not feeling good about themselves for some reason, not making good decisions, easily influenced by out. peers. I think the social and emotional learning and the mindfulness practices take us to a deeper level of where the problems really are. And quite frankly, I think Americans are ready for that.
0: American schools have always been about more than teaching just math and reading. They were originally intended as a place of civics education. Studies of history allow students to discover how the nation has evolved to become more egalitarian and inclusive. And underlying this is the goal of helping young people learn how to participate in our society, to control antisocial impulses, and develop pro-social behaviors. And that's a tall order. Congressman Tim Ryan is author of A Mindful Nation. It all starts with the teachers. I think
1: the the key is to train the teachers, teach the teachers about the social and emotional uh, curriculum and about the practice of mindfulness. And uh, we did this in the programs back at home, and it has resonated with the teachers unlike anything I've ever seen before. So there's an excitement there, but it all starts with the teachers Uh, understanding this, the teachers taking care of themselves. I mean, you you think about a very difficult profession today. It's a teacher in a school district where the classroom is overcrowded. There's a lot of social problems. There's a lot of inequality in the community. All of that lands in their classroom, you know, for seven, eight hours a day, where this one teacher has to deal with 30 of these issues, plus the issues that he or she has in their own family. You know, there's a fight in the morning with their own kids, or there's an argument no one, you know, the kid didn't put the shoes on the right way or didn't tie their shoes on the way to school, and now you're running late. and You know, so they've got their own stuff. Um, and in many states, we've seen over the last few years, and Ohio is one of them, denigration of the teacher. It's the teacher's fault, you know, the teacher's to blame. Why haven't the teachers figured this out? Well, you throw all that in the one classroom, and it, it could get pretty anxious. So training the teacher how to deal with all of this, and then the teacher teaches the
0: student. That strikes me as quite central, because it'd be very difficult to do this in an effective way unless the educators are coming from personal experience. But at the same time, that's an uphill mountain to climb, to equip a generation of teachers with new set of skills
1: well when we realize that 75% of what a child learns is through modeling you recognize having a teacher embody these kind of attributes is very very important and and so investments in our teachers as opposed to denigrating our teachers i think is essential and and you know we need to figure out how to get this into our colleges of education all around the country. Social and emotional learning should be uh, uh, taught as a primary way to uh, teach kids the, the the foundation of learning. Because, but
0: it's not central now to education school curricula. No,
1: it's all in your head now. It's all uh, math, science, you know, reading, and all of these things. But what we're we're recognizing is that's. Step two and three, step one is does the kid feel safe? Does the kid have uh, the ability to put his or her attention on a problem for an extended period of time? Can they mobilize their attention? Can they choose what they want to put their attention on? And is that properly cultivated? Is their awareness properly cultivated? These are the kind of things that are fundamental to learning.
0: Neuroscientists who study the brain have made great strides in recent years in understanding the complex interactions of our emotions and our ability to concentrate and to think with clarity. And the emerging field of social and emotional learning has applied this to a new understanding of how to impart to young people the essential skills of self-awareness, self-control, and communication with others.
1: Social and emotional lessons are pulled out of the normal day-to-day stuff in the curriculum, especially in the younger ages. And if you walk into a school in Youngstown or Warren, Ohio, maybe today, if we picked up and went to Youngstown, you could potentially walk into a classroom where 15 or 20 kids are laying on the ground in corpse pose with a belly buddy, a little uh, beanbag animal on their belly learning how to pay attention to their breath. And so when people say, well, how are you going to, what are parents saying about this? What parent does not want their kid to have mental discipline? It's the first element of a good education, being able to pay attention.
0: Is the effect on young children that it allows them to calm down?
1: They learn how to calm themselves down. Obviously, they get taught the process just like I learned. just like you learned or just like anybody who practices uh, mindfulness learns or just like how you learn how to play an instrument or learn how to read. Why wouldn't the most fundamental thing be to teach the kid how to take care of their own emotional state? Because we're finding out more and more that how important a child's emotional state is to their ability to learn. This is not soft granola, tree hugging, you know, oh, let's be nice to the kid. I'm, I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that thinks every kid in Little League needs to get a trophy. I, kids are going to fail, and they should fail, and they should fall down and scrape their knee. And our job as parents and members of society is to teach them how to get up and be resilient and overcome that adversity. So what we're teaching the kids in the schools is, okay, you're going to get angry. You're going to get mad. You're going to have fear. You're going to be afraid of things here's how you overcome that. Here's how you become more in relationship with that. And don't fight it, it's gonna happen. How do you deal with it? And that's what these kids are learning. And so not only learning how to uh, control and mobilize their attention span so that they can do better in math and science and reading, but also how they can interact with others and have compassion for themselves, but also if you can have compassion for yourself and say, it's okay that I get mad. It's OK that my older brother made me mad this morning. I'm going to do my breathing, and it will pass.
0: We're examining ways to teach the skills of self-reflection and social awareness to school children with Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan, who has championed social and emotional education. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, Mindful Learning, please visit humanmedia.org.
1: You measure every day. That's why you're successful business people. I mean, you know what your business is doing. I believe we ought to extend that same principle to our public schools and ask a simple question. Can a child read at grade level? And in order to determine that, that's, that's why you measure.
0: President George W. Bush addressing the U.S. Chamber of Commerce in 2008. The landmark education law he signed, No Child Left Behind, ushered in a wave of standardized testing of students intended to measure academic progress in math and reading. But these extensive, time-consuming exams brought unintended consequences. Some teachers focus so heavily on preparing kids for the tests that other important educational content may get sidelined, a pattern known as teaching to the test. Some school reformers hope that a later set of educational standards, known as the Common Core, may bring about better testing protocols. But Congressman Tim Ryan worries that standardized exams have become so stressful that they sap the joy of learning.
1: My biggest concern is that these high-stakes tests have sucked the last little bit of fun out of school. We can have tests. I actually think they should be more or less Uh, assessment based where is the kid what do they need to learn in the future and again I'm not saying
0: rather than the standardized testing with the bubbles that you fill out
1: right right and the be-all end-all of this I mean you need a way to evaluate how we're doing and I think that's okay but to punish teachers and school districts who have a lot going on in their communities that are that come into the classroom so you want everyone to just fix those problems while in the classroom I think is asking a whole lot when you have high crime rates high poverty rates kids that a lot of kids don't even eat there's no summer school the 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 food insecurity issues go up on the weekends up in the summer then the kid comes back in the fall hasn't learned anything all summer long forgot what they learned so you got to go back and do remediation I mean you're not even accounting for any of that stuff that's what worries me but my biggest concern is school isn't fun for most kids and if you're not having fun at school if if learning isn't fun it's gonna be very difficult for us to have a creative dynamic economy moving forward that's figuring out new ways to reorganize our government and this bureaucratic institutions that have developed in the industrial age or create a new energy policy how, who's going to invent all of these new things that need to in, be invented with regard to renewable energies? Who, who, are, who are going to be the engineers? You know, who, who are going to be the computer scientists? Um, who are going to be the mathematicians if it's not fun? And so my philosophy is get Legos in the schools. Get robotics in the schools. Get these three-dimensional printers in the schools. Let these kids learn at a very, very young age. Get light, turn that light bulb on. Once that light bulb goes on, everything else will take care of itself and we are we're pouring very cold water on on the inspiration that that should be happening in education.
0: What do you think are the most important positive coping skills for young people to learn as they face the the current pressure cooker of schooling and as they prepare to build families and become full citizens? What kinds of skills do they need both to get through school in the current environment with the current requirements and as they prepare for life beyond.
1: The skill of being able to step away, to step away from the technology, to step away from the, the, the rat race, to get off the treadmill and just have some time for yourself, for your system, to just unwind and decompress. Because
0: we need that perspective.
1: You need the perspective. Your body needs to not be in a, chron- a, a constant state of uh, stress, of fight or flight. And a lot of people today are in a very low level of fight or flight. They're not you know, high levels like a, a soldier would be, or if you're in a car accident or something like that. But they are working and operating at very, very low levels of post-traumatic stress, uh, constant states of stress, it's making people sick, and, uh, and I think that would be one, one way of, of saying, hey, you need to learn how to balance that. And it doesn't have to be, oh, you sit on a cushion. It could be you go for a run, you exercise, you go for a swim, you go for a long walk, you, you know go for a hike. Like it doesn't matter, find out what it is for you and get some time where the, the technology is out of your life and your mind can rest and then come back to life and you'll see that it's it looks a lot different.
0: Our risk in not cultivating the skills of relaxation and contemplation is that life's natural tumult and frenzy sooner or later will get the best of us. Relentless events and inner turmoil can distort our outlook and impair our capacity for clear perception. And Congressman Tim Ryan knows that we need a way to check the tendency to blow manageable problems out of proportion.
1: For most things, and there are very tragic events that happen, but for most things, it's not the end of the world. And if you take a step back and you get a little perspective, like when you throw an interception, or you know you have a breakup in a relationship, you get get so caught up into or job issue that if you do take a day off, you take a step back, um, you can get perspective. And part of it is. As kids, a lot of times, you know, we don't want our kids to fail. That's a natural parental instinct. You don't want to see them hurt or in pain. But the reality of it is the best thing you could do for your kid is to let them have a failure and then help them and teach them how to overcome that failure. Although it can be painful to watch. Painful to watch, heartbreaking, heartbreaking but if you want that child to be a self-sufficient adult at some point uh, it's part of the process and then they build up confidence oh i can overcome things so I, my world won't get rocked if something happens and you slowly over time so i would say being able to step back and have some perspective and take some deep breaths but also to develop a level of resiliency
0: one skill we need to lead a healthy life and to be a good citizen is the ability to think critically, to analyze problems and not just take information at at face value, but to think deeply. How can schools promote more critical thinking? Part of it uh, I worry
1: about today is the lack of attention span that kids have today. And you can't solve a complicated problem if the squirrel jumps on the tree, and all of a sudden you're looking at the squirrel you know and and uh, or a bell goes off and you're looking around or the iPhone buzzes or whatever the case may be. So to create I think the first step is really cultivating the attention span. and if you can be in the present moment, have a high level of focus and concentration, mobilize your attention span, put it onto a problem, then you begin to see in that present moment how things are interconnected. And so you, I think, will have a a better opportunity at solving a problem if you're seeing the whole thing by not being distracted and, again, by not bringing any really preconceived notions to it.
0: So are you drawing a connection between mindfulness and critical thinking?
1: Absolutely. I've noticed in my own life my ability to, to solve problems by just... You, you, you come and you think, oh, I got to do it a certain way because that's the way I did it or that's the way someone told me it's supposed to be done and you stop seeing things as they really are um, and, and then you start solving problems based on... I've noticed it in my golf game where I, I, I see things that I'm doing that I never noticed before. Now, I'm still not a great golfer... But I do notice, I think, earlier, oh, I'm doing this or I'm doing this or my hands are this way or, um, you know, I'm not getting my back hip through. Just as simple as playing golf to, okay, how are we going to solve this math problem or this problem that the teacher gave us? If you're not in the present moment and you're not aware of what's happening, um, it becomes harder and harder to solve difficult, complicated problems.
0: I'd like to ask about your own stress management techniques. I can only imagine there are days when working in Congress could try the patience of a reasonable (laughs) man. How frustrating does it get, and what gives you the strength to cope?
1: I try to spend anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes in the morning in silence and the days I don't do that, I notice how quickly my stress level can uh, rise and how there's, there's a little bit more tension and difficulty in the day.
0: So just sitting in silence actually kind of I- immunizes you from some of the frustrations of the day?
1: I think it balances me out. It, uh, it calms me down. It, 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 it helps me kind of get my mind tuned up for the day to where I recognize I'm not my thoughts. These are just thoughts I'm having so that when I'm in the day, I'm in the game, in the action. Um, I have a little more space between the reaction. You know, you're in committee and somebody from the other side of the aisle says something and you just, you, your, your jaw clenches and your hands tense up. I can let that go usually when I um, have, have spent a little time during the day or in the morning getting ready for that um, and realizing that this is just a natural reaction. It'll pass. Don't, don't hold on to it too much. And so and over time, I've, I've learned how to try to do that during the course of the day as well. And I find that it, it, people say, well, I don't have time to do it. I mean, how do you find time to do it? Once you start doing it, and you realize that hey, you feel better and your relationships are a lot better but when you start to realize how many problems you prevent throughout the course of a day because you don't say something that you would have normally said because there's a little bit of space there and that thing you would have said would have escalated a situation with your kid or with a colleague or a co-worker uh, that you'd have been cleaning up for days or weeks because of something stupid you said i found That I still say stupid things, and I still forget my keys, and I still stub my toe and bump my head.
0: And throw the occasional interception.
1: And throw the occasional uh, interception, yeah, and miss a putt and all of that, but I I do it less.
0: Ohio Congressman Tim Ryan. He is author of A Mindful Nation. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website, where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, Mindful Learning, is Humankind Program Number 195. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.